didn't go to bed until 6 a.m. last night because Why? I watched the entire season of Severance. Oh my gosh. Which was literally like so fucking good. It was like the best show I've ever seen. I put in my night guard to help me fall asleep and I just laid there being like, oh my God, I need to watch more. And I had my computer on my bed unplugged because I was like, I usually watch, sometimes I'll watch TV on my computer and let my computer die to sort of, you know, as I fall asleep. But <laughs> it lasted a lot longer than I thought. And then when it finally did die, I was like, no, I need to finish it. <laughs> yeah. But it was what, like 6 a.m.? It was 6 a.m. Like Jason had come home from his late, late night. And he's, I'm like, oh I gosh. haven't got to bed yet. <laughs> he's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Okay. So let's begin. Welcome to Creative Alien, uh, the podcast where we cover the intriguing biographies of self-taught, neurodivergent, and outsider artists, as well as those living on the fringe society. I'm Shelby, and I'm here with Alexa. Hello. And today we are continuing our discussion and coverage of Adolf Wolfley, part two. Uh, there's a trigger warning again for uh, this content. Our content may make references to mental illness, physical violence, abuse, rape, blood, and traumatic experiences. Uh, what's new? How are you? <laughs> um, just been working on my own art, getting ready for my first print run to I'm be excited. sent out to people. I'm excited. I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting it. I sent yesterday. Yay. Yeah. So hopefully it's acceptable for you. <laughs> I'm sure it will be because I love that one and you're an amazing artist. Why, thank you. You're welcome. I spent a really good chunk of yesterday drawing the same mushroom over and over again with like multiple variations as thank you cards. Oh, cute. And last night, the last two that I did last night, I was like, oh, shit, I want these for myself. <laughs> I was like, maybe I should keep these ones. So I'll, I have to finish that today. And uh, yeah, just I have like four or five projects on the go, like different pieces that I'm trying to work on. So I That's need awesome. to focus a little bit. Yeah, That's it's awesome. been a long time since I've had this many ideas and I'm pretty stoked. I'm happy. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. So let's jump How in. you? Um, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah, I'm all right. I, uh, I'm tired, but you know, life's moving on. I had a good day yesterday. Did lots of research for this uh, podcast. I looked up a lot of books and stuff for future artists and got a lot of good resources. So I even bought one. Oh. I actually spent money mm. on one because my library doesn't have it. So it kind of sucks, but whatever cool it's gonna be a cool book well, you can donate it to the library after no i'll probably keep it put <laughs> my hard-earned money on it okay so <laughs> <Not> that benevolent <laughs> so let's jump into the uh summary from the previous episode we last left woefully in the aftermath of three thankfully unsuccessful attempts at molesting children he was arrested and his mental state was assessed he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and was deemed unfit to stand trial for his crimes, but was still considered a threat to society. Therefore, in 1895, at 31 years old, Wolfley was committed to the Waldau Asylum in Bern, Switzerland, until he was cured of his illness. I'm assuming that is never. No, he dies there. So around this time, 
in the late 1800s, asylums in Europe were reaching a peak in popularity since they were a convenient way for society to house and contain the mentally ill. Unfortunately, they became victims of their own success and were constantly congested as recovery rates were extremely slow. The treatment methods back then were still largely primitive to what we have now. They consisted mostly of confinement and arbitrary physical abuse. Shock treatment had not become popular yet, and drug development was decades away. They also approached the recovery process using something called moral treatment, which was built on the assumption that those suffering from mental illness could find their way to recovery and an eventual cure if treated kindly and in ways that appealed to the parts of their minds that remained rational. It's a, it, it seems like a very naive approach. Like, like even some people think that that's just how it works now. Like they, I've met a lot of people who don't understand melt, mental illness who would just like, they're like, well, just, you know, buck up or like, yeah, they just you think can, it's you can willpower. Like we'll just, yeah. Willpower just fix like it all. Yeah. They act as if it's like willpower or, um, what do you want to call it? Self-discipline. Yeah. <laughs> Willpower or like self-discipline. Like, oh, you're just not doing the right things or you're. Yeah. yeah like, you're not. There's a lot of like, oh, you're enough, not taking you're not the right exercising. actions. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And I realized I was when I finally gave in to the idea that I needed help uh, for my for depression. It was when I was I was exercising regularly. I was eating really healthy. I was taking multivitamins. I was sleeping too much. And I was like, okay, I'm hitting all those, I'm checking all those boxes, uh, but I'm still really sad. So obviously there's something wrong. And that's when I was like, okay, I need some actual help. Yeah. Yeah. I went down that road to my own road of recovery, I guess. <laughs> if you can see that. <laughs> um, okay. And it's a lifelong road. It is it a lifelong out. road. So glad I did though. So glad. Yay. Okay, um, so Morgenthaler's book, he divides Wolfley's years in the asylum into three distinct periods. The first period is when he first joined uh, in 1895 to 1899. When Wolfley first entered the asylum, his symptoms became increasingly apparent. He went for long stretches of constant work, then would suddenly stop. Wolfley either stayed in bed all day, saying he was depressed and everyone despised him because he was poor, or he was very excited and aggressive, demanding he be released since he was already cured, or that he wanted a nice woman. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. Uh, just his, his, like, with his history, it's just icky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Another thing about these asylums back then is that they were often self-sustaining, and they would encourage their patients to work on the farm. That would be, like, the work that he would be doing. Okay. So when he says that he wasn't, he would go for long stretches and like be working constantly. That's not on his art. That's on like the no. the farm or the asylum yeah, facilities and stuff. Exactly. Okay. It was confusing for me because when I think of work, I think of you know making art. And since well, he's an artist, yeah. If in your the context of an a artist biographical, <laughs> yeah, know, the yeah. work is the art, right? But I think it's just because back then, because this is written within, you know. It's written in the 1920s, so it's like in that okay. context. And I think the work is just okay. like the patients did work. They had jobs they could do if they wanted to or something. Yeah. So his attitude towards the other patients changed daily. 
For example, one day he teased and argued with them, and the next he joined their group and attempted to incite them to rebel against the asylum staff. He's so abrasive. (laughs) He is really abrasive, yeah. Despite his vacillating moods, he always had, in quotes, love and girls on his mind, and he told absurd love stories to whoever would listen. See, I feel like he's just, like, giving in to his impulses even more now. Yeah, I gotta wonder, just because he's... And like, what else are you going to do in an asylum? (laughs) Well, yeah, like you're going to obsess over the things that you want most. And yeah, I guess not having societal expectations around you all the time would make those even more amplified for him. Yeah, exactly. In January of 1896, he became extremely agitated, claiming the asylum wanted to annihilate both him and his sweetheart. Uh, The return of the sweetheart. The return of the sweetheart. (laughs) Wolfley had apparently seen her walking around the asylum, and he believed that she was also being held there, suffering from the same illness as as him. He then accused the staff of separating him from her because she was rich, which this kind of reflects the same situation that he uh, had with his first love. Like, she was prevented from seeing him because likely because of their you know monetary status monetary status financial status i don't know he was a peasant and she wasn't so when he entered into a calmer state of mind he was able to finally accept the reasons why he was in the asylum even admitting that if he wasn't there he would already be dead Hmm. these moments of clarity often did not last very long merely days later he was back in a deep depression and could not leave his bed so when he first joined, uh, he first entered into the asylum, all the inmates, inmates, all the patients live in dorms, like they live in sort of communal spaces. And I think he just was like constantly being affronted by them, by their presence. Like mm. he, it just made him in, constantly agitated. He didn't want to be around them at all. No, no. He, he was like, yeah, he really did not. He was a, uh, what's the word? I don't want to say loner, but he was very inward. And I mean, it makes sense because all his life, he's really been kind of an odd one out. Like all the houses that he worked at, he was the odd one out. He was always by himself, working by himself. Yeah, it make, it checks out with him being alone all his life, essentially. And now he's forced to be around these people that he probably kind of looks down on as well. Yeah. He doesn't, he probably doesn't associate himself with them at all probably doesn't feel like he belongs there no he doesn't he spends most of his time thinking that you know he doesn't he shouldn't be there and only brief moments of calmness and clarity he's like okay yeah (laughs) i see why i'm here never mind (laughs) yeah so in 1897 he begins hearing voices at night why while he's trying to sleep uh, they would taunt him or urge him to assault children He often accused the guards who stood outside his room of gossiping about him at night or yelling insults at him through the keyhole of his door. He also believed that the doctors or other patients were actively trying to make him sick. So these voices and hallucinations often caused Wolfie to become violent. If he heard them during the day while he was around other patients, he would accuse them of gossiping about him, insulting him, or conspiring against him. He would then become agitated and attack them. For example, one day in the fall, Wolfley became so angry that he beat an old man bloody. Another day in the winter, he grabbed a patient and knocked him off a bench so hard that he broke the man's femur. Oh my goodness. 
After these violent outbursts, Wolfley was always placed in seclusion for a period of time. So this isn't solitary confinement like in a prison. It's seclusion. So it's like a, just like a, a cell by itself. But he's still allowed to interact with people and stuff. He just is by himself. Once in his cell, he thrashed and destroyed anything he could find. He broke dishes, tore up his bedding, and ripped up his clothes. As punishment, he was forced to go for weeks without any further clothing until he calmed down. So he just was like <laughs> there naked, I guess, in his cell. Just the emperor's new clothes by yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. When he finally came out of his rage, he either demanded to go right back to work or to marry his fiance, who he saw around the asylum. Oh, my goodness. From 1898 to 1899, Wolfley's mental illness progressed rapidly. He quickly vacillated between states of excitement and depression in a matter of days or weeks as he retreated further into himself, often voluntarily remaining in his cell. In September of 1899, Wolfley became violent again and had to be isolated from the rest of the patients again. He initially calmed down, but he soon erupted in anger, grabbing his night table and smashing it to pieces. Using the debris from the night table, he began destroying the door to his cell. Once the door gave way, Wolfley rushed down the hall where he found a nearby window and shattered all its panes. Instead of attempting to escape, however, he stayed in place, immobile, pale, and bathed in sweat. Is he still naked? I, <laughs> when I read this passage, I totally imagine him naked. Just crazed and Just naked. Just crazy and naked and like smashing windows. I don't oh, think so. Boy. I think he was wearing clothes. But okay. yeah, I do imagine him naked too. It's funny. It's more fun to imagine it that way. Yeah. <laughs> He was placed back in his cell and remained in seclusion from that point on. So they were like, okay, this guy, this guy can't be with regular people. A few months later, during one of his calmer moments, Wolfley spontaneously took up drawing. It took him about four years in the asylum to finally take up drawing. And he hadn't really drawn at all before, right? No. In his life? No, not okay. at all. So now we get into the second period of his life, which is a lot longer it's from 1899 to 1917, so 18 years. So I have a lot of stuff to cover in this period of time. It's actually, his his stuff is quite difficult to talk about because a lo- it's difficult to find an interesting timeline of someone in an asylum because it's all the same, you know, the whole time. It's not like he's going to different places or anything like that. He's sort yeah. of in the same place and just making yeah. stuff. So it's not like his... um art is informed by events or environments and so well i guess it would be but it's not, not informed by events at all no or environments at all no so over time as wolfley's desire to draw grew the staff saw that if they stayed out of his way and gave him enough resources he was much easier to manage seems about right yeah for whatever <laughs> reason they still attempted to divert his attention towards other in quotes useful activities like basket weaving though never with much success i think back then they didn't they didn't see or consider art making as a proper form of activity for patients maybe honestly i I think i think even now people also wouldn't necessarily think of it that way but it's done a lot more commonly oh yeah 
well like, now yeah, now mental health stuff. facilities are a little bit more forward thinking yeah I would hope like but, art therapy is like is is a very common now it's, it's a thing i don't think it was a thing back then i think this sort of stuff showed that it could be a thing like this was sort of the beginning of it maybe <clears throat> honestly i think like personally if i were having issues i would probably enjoy basket weaving because of how repetitive it is yeah it's yeah, kind of yeah. like it's kind of like knitting it's like you get into a trance and mm-hmm. yeah so i'm kind of surprised that that didn't work but i guess he's just a little bit too chaotic probably yeah well i think drawing kind of allowed him to get out the the stuff that's in was that was in his head a lot better than yeah. basket weaving like i don't think he could have expressed himself with through baskets <laughs> <laughs> can't express the chaos in his in his mind with no baskets then it wouldn't be a basket anymore. So no drawings were preserved between 1899 and 1903, either due to Wolfley himself destroying them all during one of his episodes of rage or other patients tearing them up in moments of anger against Wolfley. It wasn't until 1904 that Wolfley began keeping his work. At first, Wolfley's doctors did not recognize his talent right away, calling it very stupid stuff. However, <laughs> wow, <laughs> how eloquent of them. Yeah. Uh, however, once Morgenthaler arrived in 1907, the staff at Waldo eventually came around. Morgenthaler was one of the first to advocate for Wolfley, and he began encouraging him to draw by providing him with pencils and paper. So going into a little bit about his method, he drew obsessively. He worked all day, nonstop, only breaking for meals and sleep. Every Monday, Wolfley received a new pencil and two large sheets of newsprint. The pencil was used up within two days, after which Wolfley had to make do with the stubs he had saved or with whatever he could beg off someone else. He often wrote with pieces only five to seven millimeters long or with tiny pieces of lead held gingerly between his fingernails. That is dedication. In addition, twice a week he received a ration of chewing tobacco because he always needed chew in his mouth while he worked. Hmm. I mean, why not? You're already in an asylum. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If I was in there, I'd probably be smoking. (laughs) Smoke, eat, make out. (laughs) That would be it. That's the life. It's the life of an artist. That's the life. Also, he collected any type of paper he came across. Otherwise, he would run out of paper well before Sunday. One Christmas, the asylum gave Wolfley a box of colored pencils, which lasted him only three weeks. And I believe this was around when Morgenthaler started. And I think he was like, sort of like, hey, let's give him more materials instead of just lead pencils to make his art. During his breaks, which were rare and usually on Sundays, he would peruse magazines at first, he was given only very old black and white issues of Überland und Meer from the 1870s and 80s. Later on, in the late 1910s, he was allowed to look at more modern magazines and an old atlas. Very rarely, if he came across an image he liked, he would cut it out and use it in his drawings. So some of his uh, drawings have references to places in the world. Actually, quite a few do, but some of them have the collage, like a collage image of those places. And those places are the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York, the Parliament Building in Ottawa. Interesting. And an image of Siberia. Hmm. Yeah. And he makes another reference to 
a Canadian city in another drawing. It's not a, a collage of it, but it's like the title it says like something something the great city of Regina. Interesting. Like of all places to reference, Regina. <laughs> I wonder if it's just because of the magazines that he was looking at. Like maybe it romanticized Canada because at that yeah. time Canada was still so new and maybe it was mm-hmm. like, ooh, the new world. Like, And I bet the parliament building was fairly new too. I would guess so. Yeah. I'm kind of curious now when it was built. He also just had an atlas and I think he just like liked, if he liked the place, he would just, you know, include it in his, you know, in his world. I, I used to have an atlas as a kid. Like it was one of those big ones. I love Alice's. I love them. And the thing is, too, is like you would open it and it would kind of inspire you. So I kind of now I'm kind of like, maybe I should have a giant Atlas (laughs) so I can look at it and be like, ooh. yeah, I remember doing that in in elementary school. Whenever I was bored, I would just go to the back of the room and find the Atlas and then open it up. And yeah, that was amazing. I love that. Pick a spot and then look, look at it. Yeah. If anyone asked him what he was going to draw. Half the time he would say, without hesitation, a tall mountain, a giant hotel, or a great goddess. While the other half, he would get annoyed and say he didn't know and they would have to wait and see. Wolfley worked as if driven by an internal force. He's quoted here in saying, You can't imagine how taxing it is to try not to forget anything. It would surely drive a person crazy if he weren't already. He would sometimes declare that it isn't really him who invented his drawings. Instead, he says that he had already drawn everything by divine order during his trips through the universe, which we will get to his trips through the universe. Interesting. <laughs> He's also quoted here in saying, do you really think I could just make this all up in my head? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So now we get into a bit more detail about his early work, his drawings from 1904 to 1906. I'm also going to comment here that He not only drew, he also, he mostly wrote, actually. That was his main uh, output. He wrote a ton, a ton of um, prose, poetry, uh, musical compositions. And within these books, he also added illustrations. A lot of these things are actually very much intertwined. His illustrations have musical notation on them or writing on them or, you know, vice versa. So it's like sometimes it's hard to differentiate exactly what's what. However, he does have a set of drawings that are just separate drawings. And that's so that's what, we'll, what we will do. We'll address the ones that are separate drawings and then everything else is kind of glommed together. So from 1904 to 1906, these were done all in lead pencil because that's all he had and newsprint. They were he made about 50 of these within two years and they're about wow. 100 by 75 centimeters. So 100 centimeters is a meter and 75 is is three quarters of a meter so they're quite large 50 of them in two years and they're huge yeah for a drawing for a painting that's fine but drawing is like those are some small marks you have to keep doing over and over and over again Mm. well i guess when you've got all day to do it Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) it's like the only thing he's doing and like endless inspiration because you're mentally ill yeah yeah seriously Most compositions extended over several pages, uh, and since newsprint is not archival, they are all in very bad shape and are very yellow. So a note to all you aspiring artists out there, do not use newsprint as your final work, because it will degrade badly. 
Years passed and Wolfley continued his cycle of obsessive drawing during periods of calmness with sudden bursts of rage and violence or hallucinations and paranoia. If during the, one of the latter states, a woman walked through the asylum, he would shout obscenities at her or say that he didn't want to marry her. You're not my sweetheart. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to marry you, you bitch. <laughs> yeah. How dare you come in here and tempt How me? How dare you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to marry you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I said, he's he thinks about that stuff a lot. I don't think I could I don't think I could spend much time in asylums. <laughs> like as a regular person or as a patient? Yeah, like I just don't think I could cut it. It's it's just too crazy sometimes, like hearing yeah. all the like the yelling and the oh my god you just reminded me there's i was on the metro yesterday and there was a guy who walked in between the cars like he walked from one to the other oh no and i was like this guy is not right in the head like first of all he's wearing a simpsons shirt that was like knitted i don't know it was really (laughs) weird it had like duff beer and dough all over it anyway so he was walking around and he just looked out of it and then we stopped at a station and he tried to get off and this like elderly Asian man was trying to get on and he flipped out and started saying, get out of my life, get out of my life. And this guy was like, oh my God, like what the hell's happening? And I was, Whoa. it was terrifying. Like he erupted in anger because this guy was just Weird. trying to get on the Metro. And Interesting. Oh, I, I like, I quickly like got off and like went to the next car. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I was like, God, like. It's getting oh. bad here. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are just not doing very well. And you see them a lot more. And I'm sure you see it yeah. over where you are too. So Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. It's really sad. Like here in the town I'm currently living, it's not as bad for that. Well, no, it is. But in Vancouver it's far worse. Yeah. In Vancouver it's like constant yelling people oh, having yeah. like violent outbursts there are people have been stabbed for no reason like you're just standing in a tim hortons and you get stabbed in the back oh my god for literally no reason there's also like groups of people who are who will ask you for a cigarette and if you don't have any they will attack you oh yeah and i, th- I think honestly i think that asking for the cigarette is just a way to start the interaction for sure i don't think they're actually asking for one Oof. But it makes you want to walk around with a pack of smokes just in case. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, here, take, take the whole pack. <laughs> like, I don't want to get stabbed. It's like distracting but, a pack of hyenas. You throw like a, you know, a slab of yeah. like raw meat into the, like, here you go. Yeah. And then yeah. you run away. The reason I say like, I don't think I could, I mean, I could never work in a mental hospital because it's just exhausting, I think. But my husband, he, when he was doing psychology classes for college, he went to I guess it was like a case study or project or something that you had to do. And he went into one of the mental hospitals here and they had basically been assigned a patient and they had to just go and interview him and just kind of talk with him and see what his story was and that sort of thing. And he said that this guy would smoke his cigarettes through the filter. What? He would smoke the filter like he smoked (gasps) that much. And so heavily, oh he didn't God. even notice that he was smoking the filter. Maybe he didn't even care. And his fingers were so black oh God. and covered in sticky, plasticky, burnt chemicals. Oh. And his uh, classmate that he was doing this with was like this really tiny chick. And so he was like really glad that he was with her because... If she was there alone? Yeah, like if she was by herself, it would have been really bad because there were like really, people... Yeah. Yeah, really eyeing her and stuff like that, so... 
Ugh, yikes. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's the same thing with hospitals. Like, I just couldn't be around that. I get too obsessed with one thing or one person and it would just be really hard to be like to just remove yourself. And I mean, I get I guess you get used to it. But so that was a big tangent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all good. Just, I started it. Um, As he as you know, as he stayed there longer and longer, he would express fear that he would be released from Waldo. So he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave because now he had his drawing and this drawing was became so important to him. He kept repeating that he was the sickest person there and there is no question that he needed to stay. Perhaps realizing that Waldo was the only place where he could draw all day without interruption. I kind of get it, honestly. Yeah. Well, he's also <laughs> Like if I if I was able to just be taken care of and stay in a place where I was like uninterrupted, just able to draw and stuff like that, I wouldn't want to leave either. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't have to have a job, you just <laughs> But he he also, I mean, he expressed fear, like he was terrified because he I think he in his mind, he he's doing this from a divine order you know like he's being mm. compelled to do this from god like he he's being told that he needs to complete this work and it's like so if he were released then he would be shirking his duties i guess yeah exactly or punished yeah. somehow mm-hmm. or maybe the world would fall apart in his mind uh, here's a uh, brief description of his drawing style he uses primarily horizontal and vertical lines arcs and wavy lines and curves and broken lines so it's extremely geometrical, but not done with like a ruler or anything. So it's all hand drawn. It's not precise. It's not precise. Geometry. There you go. Yeah. Often these lines would form what Wolfley called little birds or slugs he, that he repeats in many of his drawings. And there's a thing that Morgenthaler uses to describe his work, and it's called horror vacui, which means that it's like a fear of open spaces. So his work, he's like, he needs to fill everything. Everything's filled with something. So he uses mm. these little birds and slugs to fill the space once he's sort of completed his main pieces. And the first, like when you Google that, the first thing that comes up is uh, Wolfley's work, I'm pretty sure. That's funny. I mean, there's other artists who do similar type of stuff, but yeah. Yeah, but the first example on Wikipedia is Wolfley's, is Wolfley's work. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. Yeah, the entire surface or or artwork has to be filled with details, leaving as little perceived emptiness as possible, it says. That's a very good description of his work. So Morgenthaler suggests that it represents pansexualism. And the term pansexualism is was different back then than it is now. Back then, it meant that everything a person did was driven by sex. Okay. So definitely a different meaning. Definitely a different term than it is now. It's not it's not a sexuality. It's just that everything is about sex. And he his proof for this, or one of his like his um his supporting arguments for this is that the German word for bird is Vogel. And it's also a part of the slang word slang slang word to fuck, which is Fulgen. Fogen. So Fogel is V-O-G-E-L, and then the slang word is V-O with the umlauts G-E-L-N. So it's like, I think that's what he, he suggests that's what Wolfley's trying to play on here. So when Wolfley says, like, I'm drawing the little birds or whatever, he's interpreting that as... 
it's, it's like a an proof of, of his, his like pansexualism is that everything's to do with sex in Wolfie's mind. That's that's his argument. Interesting. I mean, like it is kind of funny. Like there's like the little birds, which could be a more feminine form for him, and then the slugs, which are like mm. like yeah. if you want to think of it that way, you could interpret it as being like more phallic, I guess. <laughs> True, and I think that Morgan Dollar does make that association as the little birds are more feminine, the slugs are more masculine. Interesting. Um, yeah. So here's an example. It's called uh, Juno, Goddess of the Negroes from 1904. And it's okay. uh, it's quite yellow because it's on newsprint. It's in all in lead pencil, which is kind of neat. And then I have another example from a couple years, couple years later from 1907, uh, which is one of his most recognizable works. And that's when he received colored pencils. And he uses them really, like, brilliantly. Like, it, there's a lot of really bright reds and, like, pinks and purples and, like, yellows. But it's, like, it's not overwhelming. It's very, it's quite nice. It's called Summer. They don't clash. They don't clash, yeah. It's called yeah. Summer in summer in Burn or something like that. Yeah, his command of um, just natural color theory, I feel like, is working here. Because it's all colors that really work together but are also vastly different. Uh without being tacky or gaudy or or whatever yeah he leaves enough newsprint space like color space to come through and to really play well with it so we'll definitely be adding these to the instagram and these works are fairly large like this the summer in burn one is 75 by 100 centimeters yeah it's several pieces of newsprint huge piece of newsprint yeah yeah you can even see the seams down the in the middle a little bit I think that's like a fold mark, actually. No, it's it's multiple it's multiple pieces. Oh, okay. So Wolfley's pace and intensity never wavered. There were no distinct periods of rest and work throughout the day. If for whatever reason he had no more ideas to draw or music to compose or stories to write, he would simply play monotonous word games or make long lists of names or numbers often going into the hundreds. His primary objective being to fill all the space no matter what. Often, when nearing completion on one project, the last detail or line will spark something new for him to bring to life. For example, he once ended a long calculation of interest with an elaborate signature and then said, Well, I haven't yet finished my vast and great calculation of interest and of interest of interest. (laughs) Yeah. He really loved large numbers, and I'll talk about that in more detail, too. He continued to fill pages and pages of numbers and calculations all done in almost the same fashion. If given several sheets of paper at once, he would arrange them in a series into one huge drawing surface. One time he demanded 54 double sheets in order to make a map of burn. Another time he demanded paper for a polka that he said he would that would take him 10 years to complete. Wolfley's valuation of his own work was extremely varied. Almost every piece reached in his eyes a ridiculous price that no one at the time could pay, millions of Swiss francs, but then he would suddenly turn around and say that the volume should be sold for three and a half francs. I guess it really depends on how he's feeling on the day. Like, yeah. Again, he lives of his, by One of his low days or one of his angry days where he, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes he would give works away as gifts, saying that the only audience who would appreciate it were children. So some days he really feels good about himself and then other days he's like, I'm worthless. <laughs> yeah, this is just fit for children. Here you go. Take it. All right. So we're going to get into a bit of his writings, which is quite interesting. 
Wolfley's obsessive drawing soon translated into obsessive writing. Over the course of his life, he filled 45 handbound books and 16 school notebooks. These handbound books were made from sheets of newsprint, which were already oh. quite large, and they were thick. In total, he hand wrote over 25,000 densely filled pages of prose, poetry, musical compositions, and illustrations. His books contain a total of 1,620 drawings and over 1,640 collages. If you piled all of his books up on top of each other, it would be over two meters high. And these books are large books. That's incredible. Yeah. He just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. In 1908, Wolfley began his epic writing journey with an autobiography called From the Cradle to the Grave. It also has two alternative titles, which are Scientific and Nature Exploring Travels, Hunting, Accidental Falls, Adventures, and Other Experiences of a Lost Soul Airing Over the Whole Globe of This Earth. Or A Servant of God Without a Head is More Miserable Than the Most Miserable of Wrenches. Wretches. <laughs> wrenches. <laughs> I like it. A miserable wrench. (laughs) (laughs) So you just get a little a little blip into how his mind works. Like he's very he writes with a very sort of epic uh, style. Yeah, it's very I I like it. It's very like, I don't know. Like you said, it's epic and it makes you feel like it's grand and Mm -hmm theatrical i guess is another way to think of it but like it it also makes it feel like it means something Mm -hmm. he began with the story of a young boy named doofy which is wolfly as an adult i mean wolfly as a child (laughs) (laughs) oh god from the age of two to eight so this story of him as a child is a mix of events from his real life as a child and fantasy So he goes around, he travels the globe with his family, traveling to the U.S. and all throughout Europe. And then at the age of eight, which in real life, his mother dies and he had to go into the sort of orphanage labor market thing. Uh, That's when the story ends. And that's when he has this great fall or this like great tragedy. So that's the first part of From the Cradle to the Grave. Then he expanded his life story into an epic myth and created fantastical narratives of travel and adventures. He transformed himself into Saint Adolf, God's right-hand man. The Saint Adolf character takes on a bunch of other titles, but it's usually Saint Adolf and then like some other sort of uh, qualifier, like Saint Adolf II or Saint Adolf the Great Creature or something like that. The tales culminated in the creation of the cosmos and a new world, the world of Saint Adolf II. Wolfley essentially lived vicariously through his stories, mixing fantasy with reality. And I think also having that atlas around too helped him be like, I'm going to travel here and I'm going to travel there. And, you know, he adds that into his stories quite a lot. Hmm. So this uh, first volume, first collection of volumes eventually spanned 2,970 pages and contained 750 illustrations and took eight years to complete. Wow. So I have an image here of one of the illustrations in this in this uh, epic story. It's called the Amazon River and Amazon Hall from 1911. It's pencil and colored pencil on newsprint, and it's about a hundred centimeters by fourteen centimeters. That doesn't make sense. 
It seems to be the same dimensions as the other one, so it's probably about 75 by 100. Yeah. And it's like, it's so colorful. And it's similar to the other one that I talked about, the very colorful one. It's a yeah. similar, but there's like hot pink, there's yellow, there's orange, and then he fills the space with writings as well. So that's this is an example of him sort of mixing the writing with the drawing. It's incredible. I'm looking at it full, like the full version. Like I wouldn't know where to start trying to read what he's saying here. And I can see the musical notes as well going around this sort of wheel. Yeah. Yeah. There's musical notes there too. Yeah. And lots of representations of what I would assume is Saint Adolf. Yeah. And he always gives him like little raccoon eyes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's actually so he uses, he draws all people like that. Like it's hard to tell. Like, oh, okay. He draws even the female characters like that. So like a bald man with huge black raccoon eyes. I think the only way that you can tell that it's a woman is that she's holding something or something like that. Like it's really, it's not very obvious. Interesting. I wonder if he sees people that way as well. Yeah, maybe. This is, yeah, this is incredible. Very, very intricate. And and there's oh, over 700. Would, that's like insane. That. Yeah. I would love to see what, like what it actually says and, and everything like that. There's some shapes in here that are really, really neat. Yeah, his writing is like, it's tough to follow though because it is so epic and so grand. It just, you're just like, this is just basically gibberish at some point. Like your mind kind of goes bleh. Like I was reading a bunch of it and I was like, I can't, I can't read anymore. It's just well so ridiculous. Yeah. And two, he's probably just writing what he's imagining, what he's thinking. And so like, it's kind of like you had to be there to get it. It's train you of know, thought like, writing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you, we can't read his mind no oh, thank god i don't want to yeah <laughs> 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 imagine <laughs> no thanks trapped in the psyche of adolf Fulfi. oh man uh so then the next um set of volumes within this second period of his time in the asylum uh they're called the geographic and algebraic books from 1912 to 1916 these were different from the previous set because they he made them using brown packaging paper so they had a bit more structural integrity as well as news, newsprint throughout these volumes wolfley continues to travel the cosmos as saint adolf giant creation sprinkled throughout our pages upon pages of large calculations in wolfley's signature notation which i will describe in a bit in his fantasy world, Wolfley has accumulated large sums of money which require the calculation of interest, which is what we talked about before. So he has paid like tons of pages of him just calculate like calculating interest on his massive fantastical sum of money. It's so interesting to me that he's like I love okay, first of all, Saint Adolf St. Adolf, giant creation. That's just his name. Yeah. I, I, I love it so much. It's almost got like an anime character quality to yeah. it. It's like St. Adolf, giant creation. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. But also like it's just this odd juxtapos juxtaposition between like this amazing epic kind of like unbelievable scale for this character and calculating interest on his yeah. large sums of money like why does money and interest matter to giant saint adolf giant yeah seriously creation? the creator of the console he's like i have to calculate the interest on yeah, it, it, <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is katamari damasi like the king of the cosmos he would be concerned with interest <laughs> <laughs> what is that i don't know oh i don't know yeah maybe if you don't know katamari but is that the that king game? of the cosmos 
Yeah, it's the one where you roll up. Right. You're a tiny little guy and you roll up. You roll um, up stuff. Small items and then you, you grow and the ball grows and you roll up progressively larger and larger things. Eventually you start to roll up other planets. Oh my God. Like you go from rolling up like coins and pushpins to rolling up planets. And the oh king of God. the cosmos is your dad, I guess. <laughs> and he is ridiculous and his expectations are unreasonable and he totally would be concerned with interest yeah like that (laughs) like what a weird like drawing odd pair yeah that that's a throwback i remember sitting in your kitchen watching Uh, you play katamari like yeah back in the 2000 early 2000s the early i have i have a version of it for switch and i was actually thinking about playing it again soon so oh man i kind (laughs) of want to play that i remember that look it looks so satisfying to roll up it is very fun roll up buildings and stuff it's so japanese yeah (laughs) it's very fun i highly recommend it Okay, so I have an uh, an image here from uh, one of the volumes in this set. It's called Crucifixion of the Holy Saint Adolf on Harbor Island of Biscay Pacific Ocean. It's from 1914, again, pencil and colored pencil on newsprint. And it's about, again, 74 centimeters by 100 centimeters. This one has a lot more musical notation in it. And literally, it has like a jesus in the middle and you know in like elementary school when you have a draw like an image and then you outline it and outline it and outline it and keep outlining it until it becomes mm-hmm. this like amorphous outlined blob that's what he does around jesus but not you know to the edge of the paper but enough where it starts to just look like a cross and then he has a bunch of like it looks like people like dead or something it's the holy saint adolf it's the holy saint adolf yes, 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 yes. um has anyone ever tried to play the music that he writes yeah so originally they thought that it was total gibberish like it was undecipherable because it was in yeah. in his own uh, notation yeah but then later years later decades later a group of people attempted to uh translate it i think they were like i want to say like musical professionals i don't really know yeah anyway they worked within you know they knew what they were doing <laughs> essentially and they discovered that he it does make sense and it is a, it's it's mostly like folk music it's like folk polkas and and stuff like that so it's not just total random notes it's actually like a song it would be tough to decipher it though just looking mm-hmm. at it it's it's um so did he know how to like was he a musician at any point like how did he know so that's what i mean like he he used something he wrote it in like solfege which I didn't I learned about when reading about Wolfley it's a term about like you assign a syllable to a note and we have it in English it's it's when you go sola sola whatever okay yeah what is it um I forgot the do re mi fa sol la ti do yeah do re mi fa sol that's solfege so that's assigning a syllable to a musical notation and it allows you to sort of vocalize and you know, have a notation that you can work with. So he did that. He made up his own and he um, would do that to sort of compose. And then he had his own like notation that he would use writing down. So he just made it up. He he found a way to do it. So once I think the people who were trying to decipher it found sort of his, maybe his code or whatever, yeah. his, the, his manner of, of creating it, I think they were able to decipher it using that. I guess it, yeah, I guess it would be yeah kind of like breaking code and then once you're once you got it you're good yeah interesting that's mm-hmm. very cool mm-hmm. okay so i'm going to go into a little bit about his writing style in a 
bit about what he actually wrote about. I'm not going to talk about it at length because there is so much, but I'm going to give you a sample so you can sort of understand the style and sort of what he would talk about and how he would talk about things. So first of all, everything was written in Old German Gothic Sutulin script, which is a type of handwriting script, and it's really angular. When it came to how he wrote things in his writing style, uh, Morgenthaler described it as heavy, pompous, and majestic. His writing ranged from cumbersome and stiff to lofty and biblical. Interesting. Yeah. So he kind of would write almost like law style, like very stiff and very like overly like technical, technical. And, and then he would yeah. he would blend it in with more more epic, majestic and biblical type writing. So it's beautiful handwriting. That's not his handwriting. <laughs> Oh, that's just an mind. example of the Suderlin script. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, he writes really well. Like I mentioned, yeah, he has a really strong tendency to exaggerate almost everything. And here's a sample of his writing to demonstrate that. And in truth, from the first day on which His Majesty the Emperor Rudolf of St. Adolf would, or even in the case of the deceased of this last, his successor to the throne in the new, most elegant, luxurious, already built royal escurial rules and governs through all eternity. Amen. Amen. So it was and so it will be. 1912. <laughs> so it's like it's almost like a law and then he turns it into like a biblical thing, you know? Yeah. It. it oh, my goodness. It. I totally get it. it it's very legalese at first mm -hmm. where you're like, wait a second, I got to read this over to decipher what the heck it actually says. Yeah. And then just goes into the, amen. amen, amen. So it was, and so it will be. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, I I kind of love it. His successor to the throne in the new, most elegant, luxurious, already built royal escarpment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then follows a signature that takes up three quarters of the page. Oh my goodness. <laughs> His signature takes up three quarters of the page. And these pages are massive newsprint pages. So he's just like, la, la, la. Like, just like, <laughs> like you can just imagine being in the signing. moment and just being like, yeah. Saint Adolf the Second. It's very, I kind of, I'm kind of jealous. I want to do that. It's very freeing, I feel like. You should, you should get like a paper and just like make like the tiniest drawing and then the whole page is just your signature. <laughs> His love for exaggeration also extended to spelling, often adding extra capital letters or doubling consonants or lengthening of vowels. He adds tons of commas and his periods become discs the size of peas. And his stories often make reference to things with names that are an agglomeration of words. For example, giant pair of the godfather <laughs> of God the Father. Yeah. He, oh he, he founds a city named... Hall of the Oriental Wall of the Star of God the Father. And he makes a great voyage of discovery on a... Giant butterfly boat of the island of the Hall of the God the Father. <laughs> I like the giant butterfly boat. And was that double S on, on purpose, purpose there? Yeah. Wow. And I stuttered it just in yeah. just the right way. Yeah. It's a star. It's a star, yeah. He it's does a that star. a lot. He adds extra like consonants and vowels everywhere. I, I just, I can't help but draw parallels to like anime yeah. with him. I don't know why. I think it's just the, like, I'm almost getting like Jojo. 
JoJo. I've never seen JoJo, so I can't call I on have, that. I've I haven't either, but it's just the theatricalness, oh, the yeah. epicness. Yeah. These like off like like adding an extra S to start. Like I don't know. It yeah. just I feel like it's just He this, does it like, just because he's just like everything needs to be extra. Everything needs to be like augmented and yeah. you know. Well, and too, like in a lot of like anime titles or whatever, they'll just like I don't know. It's just the way anime treats the English language sometimes, mm. I think. Yeah. It's like this like get ready for my attack, giant pair of the god of the father. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know what I mean. So yeah. like I I don't know. It's just this like kind of amazing and exciting theatrical compounding of ideas. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It excites me a little bit. It's kind <laughs> of fun. I'm having fun learning about his universe. <laughs> oh my god, it, it's it's quite fascinating and quite entertaining. There's a yeah. there's like so much. Like if you really want to get into some ridiculous reading, I would suggest reading some of his work. It's you know, I might I might have to read his biography after this. <laughs> Uh, So he enjoyed using foreign words, but often did not know what they meant. So, for example, globus is listed as being a curiosity, power knives, umbrella automats, and automatic scales. I don't know what umbrella automats are. Or power knives. An aphorism is a precious stone. And a dilettante is a type of star or a geographic concept, like a meridian. So these are his his definitions of words. Numbers have a great importance to Wolfleet. He required such great quantities of numbers that the existing symbols no longer sufficed. He would use the regular number system up until the quadrillion and the quattrobillion. Then he would continue uh, starting from Q and following the alphabet. These are his words. I'm just going to read them. It's going to be gibberish, but I'm just going to go through them really quick. Reganif, Sunif, Teratif, Unitif, Vidonis, Veritif, Xylotif, Isanteron, Zermant, Agonif, Benetif, Corant, Deratif, Eratif, Ferranto, Garatif, Horatif, Ionith, Carifa, Legion, Meridian, Negrier, and finally Oberon. Interesting. He said that going beyond Oberon would bring bad luck, but soon that number was not enough, and he created the supreme Zorn, then Zorn, then Zohorn. And sorry, these are number systems so these are like multiple like these are numbers so like each you know we have million million billion trillion quadrillion he was like okay i can't like those aren't numbers aren't big enough i had to make my own numbers so starting with quadrillion it then goes to reganif sunif tariff etc all throughout the alphabet and finally he gets to zorn which is like the largest number he can think of that's incredible. It's so theatrical. It's so theatrical, yeah. So most numbers in his stories were massive. For example, he once received a gift called An Apple of God the Father, which weighed about 673 Varentis tons. Receipt for profit, exactly 26 Xylotiv and 973 Verent francs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are very difficult to say. Yeah. <laughs> the lightest of his diamonds was 28 million tons and the largest several hundred quadrillion tons. So in his world, he had these massive diamonds. <laughs> The population of the giant cave of the celestial star of God the Father was five, followed by 95 zeros. This is amazing. <laughs> it's it's on such a scale that 
I can't comprehend. It's so amazing. I love it. It's so like yeah, he just I have lived no in words. this. I, yeah, <laughs> you need you need one of his numbers to describe how amazing it is. <laughs> so I'm just so. kidding. Lame. Uh, so if he needed to describe something's beauty and grandeur, he would often repeat words or expressions. Describing a great fountain, he said, There was nothing but water, water, always water, again water, and finally, more water. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny. Like, he kind of, he has a bit of humor in it, too. Yeah. There was nothing but water, water, always water, again water, and finally, more water. It seems like the great fountain is just an ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But maybe his oceans are bigger than that. Oh, probably. Um, okay, so I'm going to quickly go into his poetry now, uh, very quickly, because if you thought that that sounded absurd, his poetry is even more absurd. Like, it's really hard to make any sense out of it. His poems are scattered throughout his autobiography, and they cover uh, the backs of drawings. They're written in his own way of spelling. Um, question marks are at the beginning of sentences. Uh, he sprinkles apostrophes, commas, and dashes throughout the poem, often in the middle of the words. And he likes to use exclamation points like to end all the sentences. Uh, mostly, they are impossible to understand without going into deep psychoanalysis. The titles suggest a theme or a topic, but that are never really addressed in the actual poem. And the beginning seem to start off coherent, but by the third or fourth line, it becomes absurd. So I have three here. Um, I'm not sure how all how, if we'll include all of them, but we'll read them anyway. So do you want to read them? Sure. Okay. Why not? So poem one is called Nostalgic Song for My Beloved. Nothing more beautiful have I, comma, ever seen, exclamation point, <laughs> just to give an idea, in God's eter dash, comma, nitty, colon <laughs> in god's eternity and today i must sink down why i am too broad i truly i can truly no longer stand so good day herr Veit. if i could see my beloved again i would go for a walk with her nothing more beautiful have i ever seen <laughs> in god's eternity <laughs> peace can no longer remain why i am overheated I feel hot. The winds blow. The rooster is there. Let in. Oh, Maria. Oh, Maria. In the wood, the cuckoo cries. Yeah. There's some really inter interesting um, punctuation there. But it kind of, like, I wonder if he was just noting sort of the cadence that he wanted it to be read with. Yeah, probably. He might have been writing it to be written, like, to be sung, maybe, along with one of his songs. Who knows? Could be, yeah. So poem two, there's no title. It's just look up afresh and trust in God who never builds houses too high. You are now really closed up <laughs> and are already another's bride. If if she once hits me again, then I will really cry too loud. The tobacco is now chewed up. Then fare thee well. You're the nighttime. <laughs> I find that one actually makes a bit of sense, but it's, still yeah, not really. Cool. Yeah. And then the last one is pure gibberish. <laughs> so yeah, have fun with that. It really is. Mazurka tenor beginning. De jung frau how. Fung sao frau. Sung oi oi. Grede strit. Schwung. Schwung. Poi noi. Mitte zu vuit. 
hung noi noi the distrit chair flee de danida e giga chair vit der zang chair usw what the heck was that that one's very odd. <laughs> that one clearly was not even attempted to translate into English because it's it's they still have some German words in there, but it's just literally yeah. gibberish. Schwung. <laughs> Schwung poi noi. Bitte strit. Okie dokie. So <laughs> it's been a long, it's been a long slog through it. Uh, we're getting through to the bread art. So these are his drawings from <laughs> 1916 to 1920. He calls them bread art. Uh, they're not made of bread. They're drawings. Oh. The reason okay. why he calls them bread art is because he exchanged them for money or tobacco or materials uh, okay. and stuff. So it was his bread and butter drawings. Okay. Um, so while he was creating these amazing tales, he often would neglect drawing. He just was he was so obsessed with writing these stories. From 1908 to 1916, Morgenthaler would often pester Wolfley to make more separate drawings from his uh, volumes. To entice him, Morgenthaler gifted Wolfley four small drawing pads, which resulted in over 40 pieces of drawings. And these drawing pads were not newsprint. They were better quality paper, so they were able to be worth more and also last. Every time Morgenthaler had to request a drawing, Wolfley became annoyed that he was pulled away from his writing. Mm. So these drawings are smaller and they're less detailed versions of the ones in his book. Um, And they were made solely for the purpose of selling because he was starting to get a little bit of recognition, not like really tons of recognition, but people started to see like Morgenthaler started to spread the word of his art and people started to want them and started to ask for them. Can you remind me what Morgenthaler did? Like, what was he? He was a doctor. He He was his doctor. Okay. He was the doctor. Okay. Yeah. But was he was he also trying to make a collection of these pieces from? He had his own personal Wolfley collection, but he wasn't like Prince Horn or Dubuffet where he wanted like okay. a collection of multiple artists. No, it was okay. he was only uh, he was uh, mainly focused on Wolfley. Okay. Uh, similar to his earlier stuff, he would spontaneously give these things away, especially to women and children. So I have two uh, little samples here. Uh, one is called His Majesty King Frederick William of Prussia, Germany, in from 1917. And you can see how it's like, it's less detailed. It almost looks like it's pastel, but it's colored pencil. The edges are cut to make almost like a, a octagon uh, type shape. Still, his use of color, sorry. like Yeah, sorry. We'll his use there. of color is just so cool. Yeah, I like this one. So very like interested. The forest green. It, this one's more forest green and dark gray and darker colors. You can definitely see that there's a lot of pencil used in this one versus Mm -hmm. other ones. And then the second one is bigger. It's called Giant Lightning with Almighty Giant Chain from 1919. And it's primarily yellow and red and blue. And it's really geometric and very, it's a very framed image, this one. Mm -hmm. Very, yeah, very cool stuff. Giant Lightning with Almighty Giant Chain. You can see the slugs with the little faces too in the corners. I'm they all have, have they have little enhance. eyes and mouths, like the red along the corners. Oh, and then, I see. Yeah. Okay, so those are the slugs. Yeah. Interesting. They're so cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they're just cute. in the corners going ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of look like a starfish, like Patrick 
from SpongeBob. Just a little know. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Bit. There's that kind of blank look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So that's it. We're going to stop there and we'll continue okay. with the third period and final period of Wolfie's life and the aftermath of his work on the world in the final episode. So, yeah, we are. Okay. Um, that's Wolfly so far. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> yeah. You can also see a lot more of his work on Wolfly's, the official Wolfly website called adolfwolfly.ch. Um, I will put a link in the episode description. And it's really, it's it's quite impressive. I, mm-hmm. I actually, at first I was like, I don't know if I really like this stuff, but looking at it, I, I really do. Like, I really see why this stuff was kind of cool and very impressive. Yeah, I, I get it now. And especially with his, with, um, honestly, I don't think his work would be as impactful if it weren't coupled with his drawings, like, or sorry, with his writings. There's like a context there mm-hmm. that you definitely, that definitely helps with his art. Because looking at his art, you're like, okay, sure. Like, it's cool. It's abstract. It's geometric. It's, it's mm-hmm. interesting. But then when you start to kind of get a little bit of insight into like the story he was trying to tell with his writing, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, this is a lot bigger to him than yeah than he's it's like he's trying to materialize this world in his head yeah in any way possible i lo- i just cannot stop thinking about how fun and grand it is but i'm sure it didn't feel that way to him <laughs> no i think it he felt like very pressured, pu- pressured. and tortured about it yeah mm-hmm. yeah and well and if you think about it like having these this constant grandiosity like being like kind of bombarding you it must feel like a a huge responsibility yeah definitely who knows maybe he was having a great time (laughs) (laughs) well i think morgenthaler does comment on that he said that he worked very seriously most of the time and he Mm. would show some satisfaction in his work when someone complimented it if it was like in you know if it was in the works and he would be like yes and he definitely like would allow himself to feel proud of his work Okay. When he wasn't in it. When he's in it, he's in it. And he's like, I am a worker and I'm doing this at task. And it's really crucial. Crucial. Yeah. Crucial work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, this went a, in a direction that I had no idea. Really? It's going to go. Yeah. Like I, I, I had no idea that there was such a huge sort of epic, like body sort of work. godly space adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I left the way out I'm picturing it is. Yeah. I left out so many details, man. I mean, I can maybe try to do a bit of a summary in the next episode of what sort of one of the main stories is, but it's so ridiculous. Like, it's hard to follow because he just like he yeah. just jumps from. It's like reading the Silmarillion. You're just like, okay, yeah. And then a city okay. was made, and then someone died, and then someone was born. Like, you're just like, ah, like you're jumping yeah. times, and I don't really know what's happening, and. That's so, why I couldn't read the Silmarillion. I was like, first of all, it's dry. Secondly, yeah. I have no idea what the heck's going on and who these people are. Yeah. Like, why are like, you listing I, all the names of the elves? And I did read the yeah. Silmarillion, but I don't remember most of it. Like, some people I actually like can quote the Silmarillion. And I'm like, Jesus, that's, uh, yeah. that's a little dedication. I find that people who, um, at least some of the people that I know personally, they like it's if people can follow the Bible, they can follow the Silmarillion because totally. it's very similar writing style and it's very like it's creationism, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, yeah. So like it's a lot easier to follow if you're already trained to read that kind of writing. Mm-hmm. 
It's true. The Silmarillion, for those who don't know, is the prequel to the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy. It just establishes the Lord of the Rings world. Okay, so <laughs> you want to sign off this Zorn. one? Zorn. Zorn. <laughs> just a reminder, if your sweetheart doesn't give you a gift that is an apple of the God of the Father, which weighed about 673 <laughs> Verantis tons, <laughs> then um, they're not worth it. <laughs> thank you and oberon times <laughs> thank you oberon times for joining us today yeah i love you, you, you zorn see- much <laughs> <laughs> i love you zorn much yeah thank you for listening and you can find us on social media instagram i think instagram's our only one right instagram. yeah we just have instagram I don't yeah, have enough mental do capacity else? for anything else. Yeah. Why do anything else? Uh, Instagram, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, mostly Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and that sort of thing. What? Say the Instagram handle? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, find us <laughs> in a romantic way. No, it's uh, at creative.alien.podcast. <laughs> you always say it so hesitantly. You're like, well, because yeah, it's I'm, creative. Dot- alien well because i don't podcast. know hold on give me a second here i gotta i can't remember if it's dots it is dot yeah you gotta write dots. okay yeah so you can find us on instagram at creative.alien.podcast where we will post uh photos and and art and everything like that for each episode yeah and remember normal, normal is boring, boring. <laughs> <laughs> like we both like New to sing. No is boring. Is boring. <laughs> that was definitely not normal. <laughs> yeah, I'm not putting that in. Okay. No, do, it. do it. No. Bye. You can put it in when it's fading out. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I don't want to hurt their ears. Their ears are going to bleed. No. Okay, but this is the longest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> TTFN Tata for now Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.